All right, Susan, I want you to take a trip down memory lane with me. We are uh, in St. Louis and the sun is setting. We are at the site of the 1904 Olympics. Oh, I thought you were going to say World Series. No, no, 1904 Olympics and it's at WashU, which is current. Did you know that? What? This is real. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the 1904 Olympics were held at the WashU Stadium. Didn't know that right. Yeah. I don't know if it was WashU at that time. Probably was. I don't really know. But anyways, sun is setting. It's springtime. It's it's late March. A cold front has just moved through with a bit of rain. Classic St. Louis. Okay. Classic St. Louis. And there are hundreds of runners all the way uh, around the track. Now, on this day is a particularly nice day to run so it's like ideal conditions you know weather has gotten a little bit cooler the sun is setting there's no wind and you're in this big venue with a lot of people watching and i have been tasked with running the 10,000 meters and because of the rain what that's 10,000 meters is 25 laps on a track oh it's the longest event you can do in track and field i've been asked to do this and i've been doing it for about two years and the weather has set to be perfect. It's my senior year in college, and you could almost say this is the most important race of my career. I've been training for this race for 10 years, and there was a rain delay, and so everything was pushed back, and now my, my race isn't supposed to go off till about 10 p.m., and so I'm just sitting inside of a gym just waiting for my race to be called, and all the while, everybody else is running their races and running good races, and this race was very important because this was basically my only opportunity to qualify for Christian Nationals, uh, which I had to hit a certain time to do that. I didn't have to get a certain place, but I had to hit a certain time. And then as we're arriving to the meet, we also get a phone call that says the, the qualifying time has now dropped another 30 seconds. And so the time that I thought I had to hit on the way to the meet has now changed and is all of a sudden 30 seconds faster. So that's over a second faster per lap. So that's a lot. as you can feel, the tension is bubbling up and um, starting to get into my head a little bit. I'm the only 10K runner on the team. And so there's a lot riding on me qualifying. It's my last opportunity to qualify. And I'm sitting in this gym, just waiting and laying on my back. And I just feel like there is just a lot of weight on my chest. I start to get the chills. I start to feel like I'm gonna get sick, and I, my body gets really achy, and I start to feel like I have the flu. Mm. And this is like two hours before the race. And in those two hours, all I can think about is, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. Mm. I don't wanna do this. And then they call my event, I go do my warm up, I get on the track, and I run the best race of my life. I qualify for the meet, did all that type of stuff. But the moment leading up to it, there was so much pressure. Everything was in like leading up to being like, this should be the best race of your life. And there's no variables holding you back. The competition was there. The weather was there. The training was there. The experience was there. But yet in that moment leading up to it, I'd never felt so sick in my life. Mm. And that is the moment I felt the most anxiety in my life. Um, leading up to pinnacle of my running career. And sadly, or not sadly, it's probably a good thing, that is probably the only moment in my life I can think I've ever been anxious. Wow. Like That's truly, crazy. genuinely anxious <laughs> um, to the point to where I felt sick. Mm -hmm. 
And so as you can guess, we're going to talk about anxiety. We're going to talk about anxiety. And that I searched deep into the, the library of John Spencer. And that was the only moment of anxiety I could bring up. <laughs> That's so funny because I was feeling anxious that whole story because I thought you said the year was 1904. That, well, we were at the 1904 venue for the Olympics. <laughs> I was like, is this a real story or not? So I was feeling anxious that whole time just about that story. Yeah. No, no, no. Very different. So, yeah. <laughs> we're, it's not 1904. It was uh, late 2000s. Is this a made-up story or not? But now I understand. What yeah. Yeah, yeah, So, uh, as you can tell, there's a lot of anxiety that comes with sports. I, I can say a lot of athletes feel that as they're about to go perform, especially at, like, major events and venues mm. and that type of stuff. Um, I've definitely been anxious before in competing, but never to that level to where I felt sick and didn't want to compete. Mm. And then on the outside of things, it was the best performance of my life. Um, and so I don't, I, I could probably think about like all the correlation that goes with that. But, mm -hmm. uh, but what about you? Uh, you I, I, I'm curious, <laughs> Susan, you know, I think like every day, you're like, yeah, you know, I'm kind of anxious about this. You know, <laughs> you, you have a, a different level of anxiety than I do. And I'm just curious, like when I say the word anxiety, uh -huh. what comes to mind? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I don't have to look far in the depth of my history of anxiety. Um, you know, it's so interesting how connected we are as people. And so even as we're doing this, like I feel a little anxious because sadly I've had to become a friend of anxiety because it has been with me um, for a while. I don't think I grew up feeling anxious. I don't think that was part of my personality until I probably hit late high school, early college. I wouldn't have ever been able to call it that. I wouldn't have known that's what it was. Um, I think for me, anxiety where similar to you I think it's around performance but for me relationally performing became a place of like high anxiety <laughs> I was talking with Carrie actually recently about a book called boundaries and there's a thing at the beginning where they they detail out the day of somebody who like doesn't know how to have boundaries and reading a page in that made me so anxious because I related so well to it I couldn't finish the book because I was like man my life relationally is so caught up in other people's worlds and what they thought of me or what they I assumed they expected of me. And if you think about that as a girl and as like a teenager, college student, beyond, girls are so relational. So that's like a daily struggle that anxiety became such a part of how I related to people because the expectation on myself or like the things I thought people expected of me, that just became part of who I was of like, oh my gosh, that person didn't text me back right away. I think they're mad at me. I haven't even seen them. You know, it's like this lower level undercurrent of just constant anxiety would probably be more how I'd describe my mm. relationship with it. I, like you said, I've had a few moments of like the big, like basically panic attacks of like, um, have, I had to be a speaker at something one time and I was like I'm gonna throw up like I might actually die my heart might explode <laughs> I feel like Bob from what about Bob if you've ever seen yeah that yeah that's me um so I've had those big moments but I think for me it's been more of like a lower level constant undercurrent of this like buzz of anxiety that's just in me yeah 
so I don't I could go on more. But... Well, as you're talking, I think about when Carrie and I sit down to watch a movie, which is pretty rare uh, because her level of empathy is so high. Oh, yes. She has anxiety while watching movies and not like an unhealthy uh, set of anxiety, but it's she feels so much with characters that it creates this anxiety of if she doesn't know what's going to happen in the movie or what's going to happen to each of the characters, um, she doesn't want to watch it. Um, and so I, I have a hard time watching movies with her because I love to watch movies where it's like I have no idea what's going to happen. And for her, she wants to know. It, she watches the same movie every night if she could, and she did for a really long time. Okay. She watched "You've Got Mail" um, <laughs> every day as she went to bed uh, for for years um, because she knew exactly what was going to happen. Now, if you watch "You've Got Mail" for the first time, there's a lot of moments where you're like, "Oh, what's going to happen?" That's why I find it good to watch it once. After that, I'm like, "Yeah, you know, it, it is what it is." So you and her, and this is probably this is probably more of a female thing, you know. Um, because I, I I would say you know I could be wrong, but girls are much better at relating in that way. Like there's a lot of there's a lot more anxiety in relationship. Like there's there's more at risk uh, for girls relationally wise, um, because I've there's probably more variables, and so there seems to be more anxiety for that. But Well, I think that's been one thing that's been helpful for me in marriage as I've, like, talked through anxiety with Kent. For girls, nothing fits this, like, logical path. Like, for Kent, if I'm explaining something to Kent, he might explain it out to me or, like, say what I'm saying back to me and try to understand it logically. And for me, I'm like, no, it doesn't. It doesn't have nice, neat borders like this. Like right. For anxiety, the thing is it takes this shape. It's like a gas. It, like, fills any space you give it, and it's not neat and clean. Yeah. It's like it has no logic. Yeah. It has no straight course. It's just this weird blob thing that takes over. And so I think that's also just, like, female, male, just the way our brains are wired. It yeah. just – I think we are more naturally attuned to it. Not to say men can't struggle with anxiety, but, like, I think it just – looks so different for how we just look at the world it can be really different yeah mostly kid related you know uh, in relationship to our kids what we've seen is you know as we're raising our children uh, which are roughly the same age and the anxiety that we hold as parents is reflected onto our 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 children and so they start to have anxiety in their own lives at that age you know they're they're five and under which is crazy a five-year-old shouldn't have anxiety i just yesterday there was a spider that was in the house and Carrie screamed um, in terror of a spider, as spiders can be scary. However, that led to all the children screaming, (laughs) even the ones that didn't see the spider. um, They were nervous about that spider. And then I had to come along and find the spider and kill the spider. And I'm fine with spiders. And uh, it's more snakes that I'd be like, yeah, you know, let's not deal with that. So so that's definitely a trend. Um, So our, our anxiety shift. And so the question I have for this episode is 
is anxiety the leading personality trait of teenagers today? And why would that be true? And we're not experts in this. Yeah. We're not experts in, in anxiety and how to cope with it, but it is definitely a, a trend that we see. Even more so, you know, you'd say as a, a woman, you're, you're more anxious than men are. And, and I think that is definitely true of uh, an older generation. But what we're seeing with teenagers today, it doesn't matter. Like gender, it, it doesn't matter. Like everybody seems to be anxious mm -hmm. about something. Mm -hmm. So would you say it is the leading personality trait? Absolutely. Why? I think a lot of things. I think... Um, I don't know how much you want to get into this, but I do think technology plays a huge part in it. I think, yeah. I think the students that we get to interact with are less connected, which is weird because they're connected to more people, but mm -hmm. less deeply. Yeah. So um, I think the reality of not having the same kind of friendships that maybe you or I had when we were at that age of like, depth not I'm not saying I had like crazy deep friendships in seventh grade but they were different because we we had to hang out face to face we had like our interactions weren't confusing because we weren't doing it through a phone where like I can uh -huh. see your face or hear your tone because I think a lot of anxiety especially if you think about girls and drama and friend groups it's like things can be said in bravery through a phone that you would never say to someone in their face or you might say something that was really mild but someone took it weird it, like you take out all the human interactions mm -hmm. like i think for girls and friend groups and whatever can go on through technology i think technology can be this huge thing of anxiety for girls i'll, I'll speak to girls because I'll, I'll let you speak to boys but um and i think there's a pressure on our kids and i mean again we have such a unique view of where we are in the country and like the neighborhoods that we minister to but I think even just the pressure of school and social is just different than I've yeah. seen as I've been in this for years um just what's demanded of kids is really different even in like a decade span of time like sure if I go back to my own high school days yes it's different but like even in the span of a few years just watching I'm like you know I talk to girls who are in seventh and eighth grade and they are beyond anxious mm -hmm. about their schoolwork. That was never something I worried about in seventh grade. It was like, yeah, I gotta get my schoolwork done, but oh well. Yeah. It was, that was not a top layer yeah. of what was sending me anywhere towards anxiety. Never. Yeah. And I think the pressure of that has changed of like to be involved in a lot of things. Girls were talking to me about doing good on their standardized testing, like whatever schools do. I can't remember the name of them, but ERBs. Standardized test. Because one of them was like, I won't get into college. I was like, you're in seventh grade. I don't think they do anything. With this <laughs> like, I think that's more a reflection on your school than you. And I was like, why are you thinking about college? You know, like yeah. their worldview is so different. Success is so different. Like what is the definition of doing well or being successful or being on the right path is like so different than it was even five seven years ago yeah what do you think what do you see well i will i will say this and this is because uh, we live in st louis yeah we can easily identify people based off the schools that they go to um, we can easily identify based off the neighborhoods that they live in what county they're in and definitely 
comparative to the you know north south living in the city west county brings the most anxious kids and mm-hmm. uh, that's where where we work and where we minister and that's where a lot of our kids come and on top of that the most anxious kids are coming from private schools mm-hmm. and for good reason i mean there's definitely a lot more pressure to succeed that's why you know people send their kids to private schools is they have higher expectations and they're able to produce more because of that but in reality i I, my question is how much do we lose by putting that stress and pressure on those students i i don't want to bash on private schools i went to a private school there was a lot of pressure to perform well Um, i'm not one of those guys obviously i talked about my um, experience with anxiety. I'm not one of those guys that really stressed about that. Um, I, I'm the type of person who would be at last minute asked to do something. I'm like, yeah, sure, let's do it. Um, that's that's my personality, and that's not true of a lot of people. Um, so I'm not a good person to look at that. But as far as somebody who has worked in the schools, both public and private, um, in West County, and now working at the Kirk, where we have a you know, the whole spectrum of schools represented and ages. Um, and I would say definitely the majority of the kids have a leading personality trait of being anxious. Mm-hmm. And even to the point to where they're probably not anxious, but they want to fit in. And so they act, Absolutely. they act like they're stressed and anxious for no reason. And it's because it's what everybody else is it's experiencing. Everybody lives yeah. in a stressed household. Yeah. And it's, if you're not stressed, you're not productive. And if you're not productive, you are not contributing to society. And that is definitely um, something we want to debunk and say, it's okay to not be stressed. It's actually encouraged scripturally to not be stressed. Like our comfort is in the Lord and not in you know, your test scores or your performance at in sports or um, with music or any of that stuff. So even looking at scripture, it's definitely affirming to say that we shouldn't have that as a defining thing. Mm-hmm. You know, our, our whole goal is to make these students and help these students identify in Christ and in nothing else. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, the leading identity for a lot of these students is stress and anxiety. It's like they want to be anxious because they, they feel like they're they're doing something if they are. Does that make sense? Yeah, as you were saying that, it, it made me think of, I feel like anxiety or what you were just saying about wanting to fit in with that is almost synonymous with busyness. It's mm-hmm. like, and I feel this as an older person of, it's like, what do you, what did you do with your day? Like, if you're not like running around, like, what are you doing? Like, mm-hmm. aren't you too busy to do anything else because you're so busy doing everything you're doing? It's like, they almost have that same pressure of like anxiety, stress, and busyness are so part of what they know life to be that if you're not overly busy, overly anxious, what are you doing? So it's like yeah. you said, yeah. you need to be too busy. You, who's just sitting around on a Friday? You've got stuff to do. Like, yeah. That's just not, they don't know how to just sit or be still. Me too. I'm, I'm in that too. I've thought about that with, as my kids are growing up, um, because I'm really extroverted, we like to go a lot. And I've tried to remember, I also don't want to raise children who don't know how to just be at our house and be with our family. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, let's go see a friend. Let's go, like, do something fun. But, like, there's a lot of value in having a slow, quiet day with our family. With, like, that should be just as interesting. 
but I'm yeah. not necessarily training in that way of like it's not a good day unless we're out of the house seeing a friend getting Chick-fil-A and like getting a treat halfway through the day yeah um, and I think we come by it honestly and accidentally that like our kids are anxious and too busy because yeah. that's it's the whole the whole example of the frog in the boiling water it just like all of a sudden it happens and the water's boiling and we're like what happened yeah <laughs> um, and so I think what you said is really true is that I don't know if we really sat down with a counselor and had kids come in if they actually have anxiety or it's the reality of like, sure, their life's a little stressful, but they also want to fit in with their friends because right. everybody's so anxious. Yeah. Um, that's a really good point. Yeah. I, I would definitely say there is correlation between a major correlation between busyness and anxiety. Yeah, the most anxious kids I've ever come across have the busiest schedules. And it doesn't mean that they're doing a lot of different things. It means they're doing a lot. a kid and I've you know convinced them like this is like you should really pursue this uh, sport and have it be your thing um, and so they cut out all their other hobbies and not, I'm not saying that's good or bad but that's what they end up doing and so they spend all their time doing their running and even to that extent they're they're thinking sleeping everything is based off of that one sport and every decision will alter how they perform and because it's consumed their entire schedule they are just as anxious as the person who is you know playing three sports being in stuco doing band all that type of stuff going to youth group all of that um, and seeing themselves as crazy busy is that they they feel like they fit in at that point either way but in, in reality is students and the upcoming generation do not know how to be bored. Mm -hmm. And I think that is one of the, the best ways to cope with it mm -hmm. and to work on it is create spaces where you are doing nothing mm -hmm. and really practicing Sabbath work, mm -hmm. which is not boredom work, but it's, it's more in the sense of, you know, what do you do when you don't have anything going on? Yeah. And sometimes a lot of people, because they don't know what to do, they turn towards bad things just to cope with it. We really have to practice boredom. We do have to practice openness in our schedules, especially these students. They don't need to be stressed. They will one day become adults with you know, a lot of responsibilities, have a job and all these, have kids and have to move their family and you know, make money and provide for a lot of different people in a lot of different ways. That is true stress because you are not the only, you're, you're responsible for more than your, just yourself. This is a time of life where you're being cared for and really you're only responsible for just you. And if you can keep yourself alive, which should be fairly easy in uh, West County, St. Louis, 
um, because there's a lot of stuff around us that, you know, it's not a very dangerous neighborhood. We have access to all the grocery stores. We have um, a, a medium income that can always provide for us um, for the basic essentials. So we never have to worry about that. So staying alive in West County, St. Louis is a relatively easy thing. It's becoming harder and harder for students to, to want that or to realize that. Another trend that I, I, I've noticed in dealing with anxiety, this is this is the main one, and this is what um, researchers of the brain would say of working with teenagers. Uh, they would say that kids are not put in healthy situations to where they can deal with anxiety. In some sense, we either give our kids too much freedom, and they overcrowd their schedules and they become too busy and um, they don't have time to reflect over the things that they do. They just do their things and get it done. Reflection is actually one of the most important things that a, a teenager, an adolescent can do in order to develop proper coping mechanisms as they become an adult. And so when your schedule is so busy, um, you don't have time for reflection. The other scenario is we're overprotective of our kids. And so we don't want them to be anxious. And so we never put them in scenarios where anxiety is going to be inevitable. Mm -hmm. So like as we go back to my story about running, one of the greatest things about youth sports is not so that we can develop athletes to be Olympians, but so that they can properly cope with anxiety. For me to get to that, that race and for me to feel the anxiety of like, I have to perform really well here. And if I don't, um, I will feel like a failure. And that might have been the reality. But nonetheless, I put my toe on the line and I ran that race, no matter how I was feeling leading up to it. What I see nowadays is if you're not able or feeling, feel like you're going to perform well, then don't perform at all. Mm -hmm. And a lot of coaches and a lot of parents will say that we're okay with that. And I, as a coach, will always say, you need to get out there anyways, even if you're going to fail, because you need to know that like, no matter how you're feeling leading up to it, you never know how it's going to be when you're actually in the moment. Mm -hmm. And if you fall on your face, then we learn from that moment. And you're, you're creating these small stories to look back to. So when you do come across a really dangerous thing of having true anxiety over a real thing, you have these proper coping mechanisms of, okay, I need to be stable in this moment. I need to, to, to step forward in this moment. And when we overprotect our kids and remove them from every moment of anxiety, it can actually be, bring more harm to them and they never know how to cope with it. And, right. and that's really, really hard for a kid. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think something else I was thinking of, I was trying to think of my D group. Um, and one thing that's been really sweet for me is that all those girls, not all of them, but a lot of them are at different schools. Mm -hmm. And we meet on Wednesday nights and we do really random things. 
we don't do anything very structured. You know, it's like, we'll go get ice cream. Well, it's pretty, <laughs> I don't say boring, but it's not like highly structured time. It's not like we're going to play putt-putt or something that has a lot of um, things going on with it. But when you were saying that, of just like putting them in situations, I was also thinking of like the situation of community, but also like caring about someone else. I think that's some, a way that we kind of push back against this is that I think we also live in a culture that we're so hyper aware of ourselves that like for me to get out of an anxiety spiral, it's really helpful for me to start caring about someone else. Like I Mm -hmm. think one of the beasts of anxiety is the inability, like true anxiety is so consuming that you can't get out of yourself. You're so stuck in your obsessive thoughts or the issue, whatever it is, whether it's schoolwork or something bigger, it's this like running soundtrack in the back of your mind that you can't get out of. And like sometimes for me, um, it's just changing my view, like literally changing my space or to see someone else and hear about someone else's life or day like can change that for me. And I feel like that's something that I've seen with my girls, which kind of sets them up in what you're saying of like to care differently or like put them in a scenario where they can deal with something like everyone talking about their friend drama is really different when they're in a community versus like isolated in their room with their phone, like shutting down anxiety spiral by themselves and like learning how to combat that as a group, like community. I think obviously God gave that to us because it's like, we can bring that to someone else. And a lot of times with anxiety, as with a lot of things is if you can say it out loud, it takes a lot of the power out of it, which I think we know as adults is like, once we name that kind of stuff and say it, you're like, that that's silly. Like once I hear myself say that it kind of takes the power out of it and teaching our kids that too, of like talking it out in a group, bringing it to the group, having someone validate like, Oh yeah, that's a normal feeling that I hate it when my friends don't text me back and I think they're mad at me that validation to not feel alone in it and to have community, I think is one of those things too, that like really changes that, that like dispels that and actually helps you get out of your own mind and own obsession with yourself, which is another thing. Like I think that we see that is like married right there with anxiety of like an obsession with self that our whole world is struggling with because we're, you know, obsessed with worrying about ourselves. But Um, I think that goes hand in hand of like fighting it and fueling it. Yeah, yeah. Anxiety is real and anxiety is not to be suppressed um, in the sense of like, oh, you're not truly anxious. We need to respond to it well. And that doesn't mean like you're not truly anxious. You are. You absolutely are. Kids actually are. And some kids need medication for it. And that's okay. You know, the, the Lord like is. It's a fever. It's yeah. telling you something's wrong. Yeah, something's wrong. And is it something in the brain? Like, is the brain not wired correctly? So you need medication for that? Or is it something with your schedule? You're like, you've just got too much going on. You need to relax. Or you're putting too much pressure on yourself on that. Mm -hmm. 
Either way, it's, it's a, a great opportunity to sit with students, sit with teenagers and adolescents and say, why are you anxious? What's bringing you anxiety? And you can say there's either an easy fix to it or, oh, this is going to be a long-term thing. And what I've learned over the years is if you put what I would say like micro opportunities of anxiety, that's actually a good way to develop healthy coping mechanisms with big anxiety moments when they actually do come. Like if you do have to, you know, interviews for a job can bring a lot of anxiety for people. And if you don't have the proper coping mechanisms to deal with that stress, you're going to never get a job. And so you want to create moments where they can do that, but you don't want to create this stress monster to where like <laughs> they're so stressed they just can't do anything. And that's where I see so many students today is they're so stressed they just can't do anything. And it's really scary. They'll get through high school and then they'll get to college. And that's where I see the big fallout with it. Yeah, my dad was really good at doing that for us. He would, this is a very random example, but he would make us, like, if he needed, I can't think of, like, who we would, who we would call. But he'd make us, like, this definitely tells you how old I am. We would look up in the yellow pages. We would have to open <laughs> the yellow pages. Yeah, yeah. And call, like, a business. I can't remember what it would be to ask a question like my dad might have a question about is trash pickup this monday since there was a holiday let's just use that example yeah but he would make us open the phone book call use manners to be like hi may i speak to this person and it was terrifying i'd be like this is so stressful but it's one of those things like those tiny little things like my dad really put us in situations because he also was with us in it he didn't just throw us into it he we talked about it we thought about it we practiced it and he would help us. And it's like, those are really tiny things that I'm like, those were huge for me, being able to have confidence in like other places like you're saying. Those were like minuscule anxiety moments that actually have given me huge confidence as I've like grown. One thing that I wanted to say that has been helpful for myself that I think is helpful in this same conversation is learning about the Enneagram, and I'm sorry if that makes anyone crazy if I'm talking about personality things, but it's the hottest personality it's trait the hottest test thing going on right now, and it has actually been really helpful. Quick book blurb: It's called The Road Back to You by Ian Cron. It's really good, um, and it's been really helpful for me to read it for myself and for my husband, and even for my friends to understand my friends a little better. Um, they tell you not to try to type your child, so don't read that and try to like. I've already, I've already done that. <laughs> Their whole life is already mapped out. <laughs> If you want to figure it out, just don't tell them. How about that? Um, but I am a two. And I was reading this. And one of the things that was really helpful to me, twos are called the helper. And they're really good at empathizing with people. They understand other people's emotions and problems. But the title of the chapter is called Your Emotions or Mine. Because twos kind of can't distinguish between like, you know, if you're sharing something really hard with me, I'm going to be like, oh, my gosh, I totally understand. Oh, I feel this so deeply. Um but it was saying twos actually can be somewhat strangers to their own emotions. And one thing it was saying is that for twos, when they feel something, a lot of times they have no clue what they're feeling mm. and it masks itself in anxiety. And as I was reading that, I was like, that is like a huge light bulb for me as an adult who I, I feel like I have a pretty decent emotional IQ. Like I feel like I'm pretty able to acknowledge my emotions and talk about them. 
But it actually was really helpful for me to be like, I wonder how much of that is what fuels my anxiety because I will feel something super deeply. Like if someone hurts me or there's something going on, I'm like, oh, like sucker punch slash raging anxiety Mm -hmm. because I don't have the tools because of I'm way more comfortable dealing with your problem than mine. I'm like, that actually sounds like adolescence to me. Yeah. (laughs) Of when you are faced with... I'm really stressed out about a test or I'm really having a conflict with a friend. Of course they're going to anxiety because they all, we, and we've talked about this again, go back and listen to our Hawks and Hornets stuff. I think that's still on our yeah, it's still podcast. Up. Um, there was a really helpful discussion about like biologically not being brains, not being developed yet in adolescence to actually deal with anxiety. There's like actually pieces that aren't formed yet in their brain, but also bringing to the table of like as parents really learning to say like this anxiety is real and maybe it's because they don't even understand what's rattling around in their own brain and their own heart of like something hard is happening happening and I don't have the tools or the words or even the knowledge to really say like this friend is hurting me because of blank like they, they just don't know yeah because I can relate to that because I can feel that deeply deeply and it comes out as anxiety. So I also wonder if some of this, as we step into our roles as parents and listening, people who are listening to our kids and walking alongside them to also understand, like, our students really are in places where they just might actually not know what's going on inside them. Right. And so it's coming out as anxiety. Oh, yeah. For sure. I think that's that's true across the board totally. with adolescence is yeah. they, they don't know what's going on inside them. They are... Um, more or less reactionary to a lot of things. So the road back to you is an incredible resource and to learn your Enneagram and how you function, all that type of stuff. Anxiety is not a leading trait for me, which I'm a three. Um, the way I cope with stress is more work. Um, and (laughs) in some ways that is definitely beneficial in our society. Uh, that doesn't mean it's any more healthy. So that, that's my own thing. We're not talking about that right now. We don't want to talk about John right now. I want to close on this. And the fact is, we'll circle back to the reality that anxiety is a very real and dominating personality trait for students. And will probably be that way, especially in West County, St. Louis, for a very long time. We can only change so much. And it's something we pray against all the time. But if the anxiety in, in your teenager's life is all too real and all too encompassing of who they are, we encourage counseling. And not that they're dysfunctional, but because they need somebody in their life to to help them navigate those emotions and navigate how to cope well with anxiety. I'm not saying everybody needs counseling. Sometimes dealing with anxiety can be as easy as signing them up for a sports team or signing them up for, to be a part of a band or signing them up to where they're going to have to have moments of micro anxiety and that could look different for every kid for me i dealt with anxiety very well because i was put on the performing stage a lot growing up and so i was either competing as an athlete or as a musician or having to do public speaking Um, it was it was anxious early on in my life but now it's like yeah i have no problem getting on a stage either improving or doing something rehearsed 
because I had practice growing up and sometimes I fail, but I have the coping mechanisms of how to deal with that failure. And a lot of times the best way to deal with that is in community. So whether that's with the counselor or with the D group or with the church or with people at your school, it's really, really important. Thank you.